0: Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And welcome to The Food Fight, where we offer a different perspective on food culture issues around Australia and the world.
1: We'll talk with chefs, producers, business owners and experts to hear their stories and find out what makes them tick.
0: This episode, we're chatting with Alistair Slavsky about food education, food literacy and her award-winning book, In Praise of Veg. Alright, let's try this again. <laughs> I forgot to press record before, but welcome to another episode of the Food Fight Podcast. My name is Stefan Postumagrbic. Thank you so much for joining us. Joined uh, by Simon Evans, as always. That The original introduction was much better, but I'll take it. Yeah. Hello. How's it we going? I want to knock this one, get, get yeah. through this one, right. because we messed Fine. up the first one. Fine. Um, as, as usual, we'd like to start our podcast with an acknowledgement of country, so where we are today, we'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, who are the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather and talk today, and pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging all right, let's get started and introduce mm. our guest, Alisa Slavsky. Thank you so much for joining us,
2: Alisa Arkadievna Zaslavska. Perfect, thank you very much. Georgian. Georgian. Where, where are you from? No, Bosnia. I'm not
0: Georgian. I'm half half Serbian. Serbia. Yeah, yeah, right. Half Serbian, half Dutch. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and then Simon's what full um full, full Welsh, full rare bit. Rabbit, yeah. 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 <laughs> rabbit. Bit of a bit of a mix now. I think. Great. So, I the first question that I wanted to ask you was, what do you tell people uh-huh. when you when they ask you what you do?
2: Uh, good question. <laughs> I say I talk about food. Yeah, you know, okay. I, I. It depends who's asking, and it depends if I'm at an if I'm at an event and I've got one of those boring name tags on. And people say, where are you from? Mm, I'll say, I'm from Melbourne.
0: (laughs) It's a funny question, isn't it? It's such a a corporate question. Yes, Mm. and for
2: a heartbeat there, when I was food editor at The Weekly, it was so good because I could say, I'm the food editor at The Weekly. And then (laughs) people had like a frame of reference for me and it was just really easy for us to then have a conversation. Whereas now, I wear so many different hats. Mm. So, it just depends. I try to like the winning friends and influencing people approach is like name same different kind of vibe Mm. i just i just can't do it you know i try really hard but i write about food i talk about food i'm the culinary correspondent for the abc um cookbook author um i create food literacy programs for schools phenomenon being the biggest one we've done we're about to launch another one about regen ag which is super cool um and now you know like, what else? What do I call myself now? Um, pro- like, you know,
0: creator of By Alice. <laughs> yes. So, you know,
2: moving into the food production space as well, which is so exciting. So mm. many
0: things going on. I yes. don't even know where to start. I think, I think we... Let's start with your cookbook. <laughs> okay. Because... It's here and now. Yeah. And was it it this week you've been shortlisted um, for the publishing awards? What are the publishing awards? The biggest, the Australian
2: Book Industry Awards. It's like the Oscars of publishing in Australia. Kate Blanchett is doing the shortlist announcement. Amazing. I know. And um, so my book has been shortlisted for best illustrated nonfiction alongside a couple of my sisters, Melvin cookbook mm-hmm. sisters. So Julia Ostro and Natalie Paul from Beatrix Bakes, um, as well as Bruce Pascoe, his mm. latest book's been um, nominated. Love beautiful. Exactly, yes. Yeah. And Plantopedia. So mm-hmm. that's the category. It's a toughie. So mm. look, to be shortlisted is awesome. Uh, talk to me at the end of June. If I win, I'll just, my brain will explode. Mm. But the win for me is the fact that the book is just, it's in its fifth reprint. It came out in. That's amazing. I know. Yeah. I've
0: hey, I, I published cookbooks for yes. the last like seven years. So you know. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yes. Um, wow.
2: And even, so it's been translated now into Dutch. And German. Wow. Uh, and it's a 500 page book. So it's a lot, that's yeah. a lot of, tr- you know, it's an investment yeah. to translate. So, yeah. and it's in the UK. I just got my royalty statement. I've actually made <laughs> money from a book.
0: Yeah. Which is, that's amazing. <laughs> I was going to, one of the questions later down the track was like, when are you going to start getting paid for all this work? Yes. <laughs> oh, Steph, you're telling me. Yeah. Um,
2: so I think it's really, I think it's real vindication when you can actually say you're a cookbook author. Yeah. But does get yeah. <laughs> does yeah. make some income from it? Yeah. <laughs>
0: so take us back to conceptualizing in Oof. praise of veg because um, and look footnote to what you were just saying. Like for people that don't understand out there, what a fifth reprint of a five hundred page um, <laughs> recipe book about about plants and vegetables and um, other issues and things like that, and and specifically international translations for those people who don't know what that means. That means like success at a level that uh, I assume the publishers never forecast.
1: Well, does it just mean five times what they thought they would sell? It <laughs> no, not five, five it could be times more than better. that. It means it's,
2: than- it's outselling Nigella and Bill. Exactly.
0: Yeah. That's fantastic. It's we're such a great achievement. Gone. Amazing. All right. Take, it, take, us, take us to conceptualize. Like when did you first have the idea of wanting to make a cookbook?
2: I've been talking about vegetables for a long time. Um, especially you know through my food literacy programs i talk about engaging kids with vegetables a lot because less than five percent of kids are getting their recommended daily intake but beyond that parents aren't doing much better and i realized that there's only so much i can do with you know the trickle up effect (laughs) i need it to trickle down as well i need to engage the whole family so In Praise of Veg really was my kind of... When I went to the publisher and I said I wanted to write a book that was veg forward, um, Jane Morrow is my publisher at Murdoch and she said, that's great, but what's going to make this one different? So, I really had to sell her on it and I said, firstly, um, all of my insights that I've gleaned from years of working in this space. So, I've had... Every time that we do a project, you know, we do focus groups, we do one-on-one interviews I've really, you know, at a granular level I understand what the audience needs. I answer every DM that comes my way. People tweet me to say this is what's in my CRISPR, what can I do with it? So, you know, news breakfast, anytime that I do a, a segment, I just did one on um, whole roasted cauliflower. I'll get emails from, you know, Cecilia, who's 80 years old, saying like, I did it for the first time. <laughs> so that's what Impraise of Veg was. It was a distillation of all of that kind of personal connection with my audience that I wanted to then convey. But she said, okay, if you're going to do this, it needs to be big. It needs to be at least 400 pages. That's what she said. Wow. At least 400, pages. and it needs to be like the definitive guide to vegetables. Can you do it? This was July. Can you do it? And can you have the manuscript in by Christmas? <laughs> Amazing. Wow. And I was like, yes, 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 I can. because you know, what am I going to say? Well,
0: exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: So I just kind of had to make it work. So um, it really, it was a slog. I had a at that time Hazel, who's now two. She was five months old. So every every day we'd wake up. Um Nick, my husband, would go away with her for the day. They'd hang out, you know, come back only to feed and sleep. And the rest of the time I was glued to my desk. And I was just kind of – it was like I was channeling all of the info, all of the um, conversations that I'd had over the years. And I was just having a stream of consciousness with my type typewriter with my keyboard <laughs> <laughs> i didn't can you imagine i wrote it on a typewriter yeah, <laughs> cool. the publisher would love that when I that would. came through yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you missed a page at 381
1: were you ready it? to go straight into writing or, or, or did you go to the publisher with you like i've got this idea that i thought of and then they were like yep go yeah or, 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 did you have any planning already done
2: I uh, hmm, planning <laughs> 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 I think because I had been writing about veg for so long I had like a, a base mm. that I could work from but in terms of the logic of the book and mm. actually figuring out how it was going to come together, I just had to trust the universe mm. and I had to trust the creative process of having a team behind me who were and are phenomenal mm. you know um, I had an editor who's incredible Katri Hilden who at first receiving her feedback I was kind of concerned that um, there were a lot of changes but by the end I realized that those changes that was like again trusting that together we were creating this voice that was much more concise than me rambling uh, mm. by the way how's the microphone should I move sounding it further great. away no, from my mouth sounding no. great <laughs> professional good great um, and so yeah I think that It was, if I had been any more prepared, I don't think that it would have been as um, organic, Mm. pun intended, always. I
0: think a lot of books, uh, potentially a surprising amount of books, will happen that way. I think that the author has an idea of what they want the, the book to be on a universal level and, and what they want the content to be. Like yeah. I want this dish in here and I want to talk about this issue and I want to profile this person mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. But when it comes to then pulling those things together into a structure that makes sense um, – it does happen organically. It's not no, it's like we want to make a book that's about seasons and each season's going to be a chapter and then yeah. what do we put in each of the chapters? It's mm. like, no, it sort of happens the other way around.
2: Definitely, yeah. yeah it's a bit of shoehorning. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah, and I think I got really lucky actually because it was COVID and because I'm normally such a procrastinator. I would have scheduled a coffee every day if I could, but yeah. I couldn't. So I really did have to just sit. No excuses. (laughs) Yeah, and then part of the book as well are quotes from chefs with inspiration for their own kind of ideas for vegetables. And I had lofty, you know, I had my sights set on some lofty names and they were all in their houses. They were all
1: free for once. You know,
2: free, they were. They were just sort of sitting there, you know, in in front of their computers for once in their lives. So people like Dan Barber, Jose Andres, um, you know, Sky Gingel, the... Big names, amazing amazing names Mm, that for foodie people, for chefs, are just as inspiring. So, what I'm trying to do is kind of meet people wherever they are, whether you're already a really experienced avid cook or if you're just starting out with some really kind of basic ideas, whatever's going to hook you into this book, I gotcha, I gotcha. Mm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, When did the idea to structure it in terms of colour come come to mind was that your idea or was ah, that yeah? yeah how did that come was that a, it, a dream
2: it was it was a dream <laughs> yeah. a lot of stuff comes to me in a dream or in the shower so <laughs> this one came to me in a dream it was because uh jane said to me we want to future proof this we want to make this translatable um literally so we can't do a to z yeah and my first book alice's food a to z because it was alphabetical it made it a lot harder to translate it into other languages so i knew it couldn't be alphabetical I also didn't want it to be seasonal because so many veg books Mm. are seasonal so I thought okay what else how else can I logically create this I'm a very visual person why not do it by colour
0: Mm. yeah yeah it's a really unique and Mm. dynamic and interesting way to approach the structure yeah yeah. and and I think that like along the way you would have you probably would have learnt some things about vegetables you didn't know like looking into you know how colour you know ties different vegetables
2: together yeah Definitely, and even the functional benefits of different coloured vegetables, the fact that you know an anthocyanin will have a different effect on the body, say, than a beta-carotene and all of that sort of thing. But having said that, I didn't want to make it too health-heavy because Mm. a lot of veg books kind of fall into that eat it because it's good for you camp. So there are functional benefit ideas and, and notions in the book, but it doesn't kind of hinge on eat the vegetables because they are beneficial to you. It's more like eat them because they're delicious. Yeah. And hey, by the way, did you know?
1: Mm. That's kind of been the framing around vegetables is that they're they're healthy, they're good Yes. Food, and that's the only reason you should eat them rather than them being delicious in their own right.
2: Oof, and that has set us back so far, hasn't mm. it? Because anytime we hear that narrative, it takes us back to the dinner table, being a kid and being forced to eat something that you didn't want to eat. Mm. Whereas, you know, what I'm saying is try harder. Make vegetables delicious. And and it, it's actually not that hard once you start. Mm. But don't make vegetables the afterthought where it's just like, yeah. Oh yeah, I just steamed some beans and here you go. Mm. Like add some lemon zest, you know. We're 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 sitting in um the Melbourne C B D, Miznon's right around the corner. Their bag of beans with lemon zest and garlic and olive oil. And those beans are, you know, steamed or blanched. Mm. Oh my God. Yeah. Delicious. And mm. not so hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Simon's been Simon thinks a lot about food, and you were talking <laughs> no. about you like, yeah. It's, I, I think that, um, and it's something we've talked about before. But like, we're sort of still really, really learning how to work with vegetables and some of the mm. techniques you can apply to them, and the way their their chemical makeup, their structure might work, and how you yeah. can you can use that to do something more interesting.
1: I mean, like where where we've gone so in depth with meat and and how you you know even, you know, make like charcuterie and mm. fermenting, and you know, fermenting vegetables becoming bigger, but even, you know, dry-aging meat and all these, like, things we kind of understand, you know, the chemical, the, the reactions there. Yes. Like, what happens if you dry-age a parsnip?
2: Mm. Yes. And, like, yeah.
1: might be rubbish, but why don't we know? Why Why, why, why don't I know? Why, why haven't I done that yet? Exactly. And if <laughs> mm. you look at
2: McGee, you know, I, I went back to yeah. my McGee <laughs> and I had, during MasterChef, which was almost a decade ago, I had gone straight to the veg and fruit section and I, that's the bits that i was underlining Mm. and there's so much interesting stuff in there specifically about the chemicals chemical makeups and the compounds and something i did learn during the writing of the book i went on a mushrooming tour with the fable guys Mm -hmm. have you chatted to them yet yeah oof so jim you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) you might have (laughs) so um jim fuller taught me that mushrooms have a very different um structure Mm. to other vegetables well because they're not Vegetables. Yeah, you can't
1: overcook a mushroom. Exactly. You can like and you're supposed to boil them. Yes. in something before you cook them. That's so right. I learned recently. The like wet
2: fry. Yeah. So I learned that while I was writing the book and I, that was like once the manuscript was in and I rushed it to my email <laughs> and just added a chunk that thankfully made it to the book that's mm. about the wet fry. So the fact that I can I can learn stuff and then you know, convey that straight away to a big audience is really exciting to me. Mm. Yeah. Well, we're
0: just conveying the fact that you're supposed to boil mushrooms before you cook them to you a big to. audience. You, you? Don't yeah, well, to, yeah. you don't have to. to. I haven't
1: even tried it yet. I think I yeah. saw a video and was like, Yes. That might keep me awake for a whole night one night. It's
2: mind-blowing. <laughs> mm. It works better, I would say.
0: What is, what's the theory behind it?
2: So, um, it's more like, you know, um, you don't wash mushrooms, you don't wet them because otherwise they are too soggy. But if you have them in water um, and as the water evaporates, over time you're not really breaking down the cell structure but what you're doing is you're evaporating out all of the liquid to the point where all of that flavour that's in, like staying in the bottom of the pan, you can then add fat. So, mm. if you add the fat... To soon the moisture stays in and that's when you get that spongy kind of gluey mushroom vibe mm. so with especially with um forest, you know, foraged mushrooms mm. where you have to brush each one, you know, a pine cone, a <laughs> <the> little pine <laughs> needle off each pine I have a mushroom. special brush for that. I God. So is it course, Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's, it's got to be. It's, it's double-ended. You know, double <laughs> <all the laughs> of course like it is the, with your little forage, wicker like, basket. Yeah.
0: Let so me I guess, know. you put it on Instagram. Uh, <laughs>
1: definitely.
2: I <laughs> mean,
0: it's def- that trays in the boat rather yeah. yeah. than yeah. wicker basket. For anyone out there who is... Looking at getting into um, mushroom foraging, there's just the disclaimer that you must have Instagram and (laughs) if you get a pine mushroom, you must post about it. You must post
2: about it. And (laughs) I know (laughs) because being Eastern European, we went foraging a lot when I was a kid for pines and slippery jacks and cleaning them one by one laboriously is just Boring. Yeah. So being able to wash them and then boil out that mm. moisture is really exciting to yeah, me. Cool. So I'm actually going to a mushroom foraging dinner after our conversation at Grossi Florentino. So wow. and we're literally talking about say good day to Guy for us. I will. I yeah. will. I'll yeah. say good day, guy. guy. Where were you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where exactly. <laughs> where were you? Why didn't you respond part? to my DM? Yeah. <laughs> 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 hey, he might. You know, I'll, I'll let no, him know. No, that's all right. Maybe <laughs> next time. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> Alice, I think another like. Another direction that we should talk about is sustainability. Do you remember when you first started you know being cognizant of sustainability when it came to your personal food consumption?
2: Mm, good question. i I think that I became more and more cognizant of it before I even was in food as my profession. Mm. I was a teacher before I went on Master Chef, and I was teaching, geography. I was teaching history, you know, and connecting kids with the humanities means connecting them with sustainability as a key learning area. So, what I was finding myself doing is actually bringing food into that conversation because food is such a great equaliser and it's also such a great hook because everybody eats, everybody wants to eat something more delicious. And I think actually making choices, better, more informed choices in what we eat is a very easy way for us to get more active in the sustainability conversation. So, like even to a 12-year-old, or 13-year-old, it's it's really easy for them to enter that conversation from that point instead of saying like, you could put solar panels on your house, mm. you know. <laughs> so, um, that was already in play for me. And then being able to do that on a bigger scale, being able to um, – be on a platform that I was with MasterChef. You know, I remember doing the Oz Harvest Dinner as a, a challenge and meeting mm. Ronnie Khan for the first time. The people that I've connected with in the food industry, you know, Yosti, <laughs> in his future food system. Um, I remember, I remember being at Margaret River Gourmet Escape before we went there, we went to Greenhouse by Yost in Perth mm-hmm. and Yosty was showing René Redzepi his closed-loop composter. Amazing. And that was That's pretty cool. Uh, it wasn't that cool. So, yeah. you know, Matt Stone was there, Yosti um, Yost backer, for those who aren't on a mm-hmm. first-name Y, end-of-Y end <laughs> basis. With old Yostie. <laughs> old Yostie. Um, so, it was Yost, René, McGee was there, I'm pretty sure. Really? Yeah. Um, Florent Girardin, who was Yost's... Um, or well, Matt Stone, Sue, and then came over here and did Silo by Yoast, mm. like, and then Rene was so inspired that he went and got that same closed loop composter oh, wow. for you know for Noma. So just being like via osmosis absorbing all of these kind of inspiring ideas, it just meant that for me it was a very natural place for me to then, as a communicator, go, okay, so this is my. This is what I can do is I can contribute to the conversation by conveying those stories. Mm. Yeah.
0: How how does it, you know, come to the fore in the book?
2: Oh, great question. Well, um, you know, when I came home, I asked myself, so how can I do that? So I found out that I could get a little Chloe. So I've got a little, you know, we had a little, when we were in a flat in town, we had a little closed-loop composter. And so I could con- like straight away, um, what's the word? I could... fix this up in post i could well i could translate um you know and condense that idea to something that i could do so i asked myself when i was writing the book Mm -hmm. what sort of actionable ideas can people take away from this Mm. book where they can feel like they are included in this conversation very very easy to talk about vegetables in the context of root to stem Mm. so this book has scrap metal awesome awards Pun always (laughs) intended. So, for example, there's a carrot top rigatoni. Easy. Um, What can you do with your beet leaves? For how much we grow and how much we throw out Mm. of that vegetable, all of those resources have been put into all parts of that vegetable, not just the you know the, the bulbous bit that we've been learning to cook with. So I think that what this book does is it gives people more bang for buck mm-hmm. and it also just makes them feel more empowered mm. to make better choices in the way that they I
1: cook. Mean, that's what chefs have been doing for years. Totally. And not even really from a I want to be no, sustainable. No, food from costs. A, yeah. Exactly. From I need to make this whole thing go, what can I do with this part? That's Where's right. Where's the leaves? Where's the bottom bit? What stock are I making? So 100%, it's, a, yeah. it's it's a – it less even, it's not even like a, a moral consideration. No. It's going to be straight to your wallet. Amen. It's going like to be straight monetary. This will save you money.
2: Yes, and I think I'd absorb that as well. Coming from the Soviet Union, that's just the way that we cooked because. That's all the food we had, mm. so I think that it's it's in me and it, it actually came out more during lockdown because I realized for the first time I saw empty shelves in a long time in my life you know for the first time in twenty five years I walked into a supermarket and I was very triggered by it yeah you know, right. and it reminded me that our resources are not infinite and we need to make more with what we have
0: mm-hmm. mm. um do you it's easy, I don't know, I've I, I got a big interest in food sustainability um, and I kind of, you know, got quite deep into it via volunteering for a food waste organisation in Wollongong, like a grassroots educational organisation. In the gong. In the gong.
2: Uh,
0: and then that led to a, a part-time role with a food food fairness uh, organisation, a not-for-profit profit it's easy to be uh, optimistic. Go, go, ride the roller coaster of optimism and pessimism mm. in this space. Is that something you're doing, or like are you seem to be an optimistic person? Always. Because um, <laughs> you know, I'll I'll see something like what you're doing, and and look at your book, and look at all the people that are engaging with how to use whole vegetables mm. and not waste food, and we've spoken to Alex from Cornersmith yes. and all that sort of thing. Um, and it's like we're on the right track. We're doing it and then i'll like Mm. go to the back of like be walking past the back of Coles, or you know check out like i'll just see something uh, and Mm. or or talk to a person who Mm. is engaged with food and things like that and oblivious to the amount of 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 waste that that occurs and
1: mm. i think really see when you look at the polluters and wasters, it's large companies who are the big culprits and they're only gonna change when there's public support. So Mm -hmm. starting from grassroots and changing people's habits and making people aware and how they can do things, that's going to push public support to make mm-hmm. these big companies change. And they're the ones who got to change. That's why they're, they're, they're like power companies are always like turn your lights off, save electricity. And it's like maybe stop fucking polluting. <laughs> like, they, like they're the biggest hypocrites and they make it feel like it's it's, it's everyone's fault for this. So yeah. it's kind of got to be um, a swell of public opinion to change. And that I think that will make the bigger change. Mm. Yeah,
2: but I do feel like we are um, on the precipice of a paradigm shift. In fact, okay. it's, it's, right, it's happening right now. The mm. pandemic has pushed that that pendulum much mm. further um, and much quicker than expected to. And it was something that was predicted by futurists for a long time. You know, there was going to be something that came that made people rethink the way that they were using, literally, the planet, mm. using with a capital U. When you ask me, you know, whether I ride that optimism, pessimism roller coaster, I remember years ago we went to a happiness conference in Sydney <laughs> and Bob Brown spoke. Okay. And he his book had just come out optimism and he said that um the way that we've been using the planet is kind of like opening a cafe and expecting it to fail Mm -hmm. so if we don't lead with optimism if Mm. we don't lead with the idea that we can we can turn back you Mm. know we can kind of turn this ship around it's going to take some time i mean you know it's a a steaming freight train of Mm shitakiness at times mm. but we can't lean into that pessimism because that is where inaction comes from yeah. so i think in hope that's actually where we can spark some conversation and spark some empowerment for people so that people don't go, oh, well, everyone else is doing it. So I'll just chuck that in the bin as well.
1: Mm. I think there is room for optimism. I think from recently talking- There's definitely room for optimism. I'm not well, arguing that. I'm just saying I'm that. Don't like, I'm like, saying, Steph, don't be a fucking pessimistic. I'm an emotional person, Simon. Yeah. But I was going to throw in <laughs> some- I get it. Of- <laughs> I get it. Totally. Like from people we've spoken to on this podcast, like um, and the results they've had with with fish fish stocks, yes. um bouncing back with mm-hmm. with um, you know, regenerative agriculture when soil health has come back in quite a short space of time. Yes, it just seems like we need to get to the point where it changes, and then you're hoping that it will snowfall because it mm-hmm. seems like we are in a space now where we can reverse a lot of the fuck ups, yep. but it has to be pretty quick. Mm. But and they do bounce back,
2: and from an attitudinal shift as well. I think it's important that we speak with big business. On a bottom dollar, con- like, you know, from that perspective, I was just, um, I just helped open a big apple processing plant in Victoria where they're, like their sustainability credentials are out of control. Like, they're recycling water. They're using charcoal and UV filters to save 3 million litres of water a year. They've got wow. two 500,000 litre tanks, you know, because they're using a lot of water to process those apples to keep mm. them from bruising on the kind of the train. That's just one thing, you know. Then they're using the heat. Generated by the plant to power other parts of the plant, Mm. you know, like it's they've got underground tunnels that are putting the wasted apples the defective apples straight to worm farms. They're thinking, you know, about that and not because necessarily they're thinking about the planet, but they're thinking, okay, this stuff's going to also save us money. And particularly for people who grow food, they need to be thinking about the climate. They need to be thinking about that relationship between themselves, what they are putting out into the atmosphere Mm. and how that impacts the produce that they then want to continue to grow and continue to sell so you know i really think that they're leading the way there's some really hopeful stuff i'm actually speaking i'm the plenary speaker at the Mm. horticulture big HortCon in june in brisbane and i can't wait to speak with the growers and show them some of the stuff that's bringing me hope you know i did a thing recently for the un um i don't know if you saw that where I kind of, they asked me to do a a takeover of their UN food systems account. And I thought, what can I do? Cause I'm always leading with hope. It's just the teacher in me, isn't it? It's just like, what can I do to engage people? Make it hopeful. So I talked to growers. I talked to um, Con from the ASRC, you know, about the um, Feast for Freedom. Mm. All of these different people who are change agents within the foodie ecosystem, the edible ecosystem, because we can't all do everything, but we can all do something within our sphere of influence and within what we do.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think, like I said, you have to give people... um, uh, uh, incentive,
2: yes. It's, it's,
1: it, you can't really just say, and we saw this conversation before. Go and buy at farmers market. Go no. and buy organic things because it's it's not in the realms of people's people's spend and people's people's budget a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So, and and then when it comes to big business, they're never going to do anything unless it is really going to you know affect their bottom line. Mm-hmm. So we have to actually give practical advice yep. and systems in place for people to actually want to change.
0: Have you 100%. have you? I mean, habit change is one of the most difficult things to try to get people to participate in mm. is cha- change those simple daily habits. Like, you know, volunteering for Hidden Hardest. Um, this is the food waste organisation in Wollongong, different one to Food Fairness. Mm-hmm. Um, th- you know, it would always be like, what are some good food waste tips? And the first one was, Look in the fridge before yeah. you go shopping. Like that's it. Like it's like if we can just get enough people to look in the fridge and make yeah. a list before they go mm-hmm. shopping. I'm like so bad at that. Exactly. You yes. see. Awful. And so like even that's like surely that's a that's an accessible yeah. habit change for a lot of people. Yet it's still so difficult. Have you? How's your journey been trying to figure out ways to get people to change their habits?
2: Yeah, it's all about drivers and levers, right? Like mm-hmm. what what is it that is going to turn someone's – push someone's buttons? Is it taste? Is it cost? Is it um, – like for in the foodie bubble, it's probably um, a level of like, um, I don't know, coolness as yeah. well. Like mm. there's that hipster coolness about yeah. sustainability too. So I think actually to me the, the success of In Praise of Veg really – Um, illustrates and encapsulates that people are keen to change their habits, even from the perspective of reducing the amount of meat that they eat, Uh, because it's not a fully vegetarian book. There is meat and fish inside, but it's probably 80-20. So, everybody wants to have better habits. It's just, again, um, a habit is something that you do when you're not thinking about it. Yeah. So, how do we get people to do it enough where it just becomes muscle memory? Um, the number one thing that people waste, it's not veg, it's bread. Yeah. Mm. So, even teaching people that if your bread is as hard as a brick, you can turn it into a fresh loaf just mm. by wetting it and putting it back in the oven. Mm. I think um, thinking about different channels and thinking about the new generation coming through like Gen Z on TikTok, they would froth on just that sort of food hack, that simple. Mm, yeah. So, like, I'm talking as long to as you call to it a food hack? A ho- hack. Right. A food so hack. That's right. So, sustainability <laughs> yeah. Vic and I are going to do something. Um, I'm trying to convince him to do an ASMR video. Oh, really? Just <laughs> <is> like, <laughs> and then it goes like, <laughs> Christine. I think that will go Mate, off.
0: ASMR is universal. Universal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> getting getting far outside of Victoria with some mm. quality ASMR content. Good. <laughs> Have yeah. you done any of that yet? Have you no. done any ASMR no. stuff yet?
2: I think I need to though. Yeah. Sometimes I do Get it involved. just in my Insta stories. Um just <laughs> like for shits and giggles because Like, there's only so many different tracks you can choose on music. Yeah. And sometimes I'll do my own little, like, or Mm. I'll just, sizzling things in a pan. Oof.
0: Yeah. I Mm. mean,
2: food is so multi-sensory, isn't it? Mm. Very sensual. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Excuse me. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Was that a bit of ASMR? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Please enjoy this frog in my throat. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Let's talk about the work you do with schools and food literacy. Mm. For those people... Let's let's give them a little overview about the issues we face. Like I think that people who listen to this podcast, particularly, are interested in food. Mm. And, you know, I mean, if you're going to sit here and listen to us talk to a chef <laughs> about you know yeah. the the front of house, back of house dynamic, <laughs> and how they mitigate you know yeah. system breakdowns when trying to get the sorcier to <laughs> provide consistent consistency what's the consistency best spreadsheet to the past. For yeah. To like wine. if people are going to listen to that, then they're going to be interested in food. Universally you'd, you'd hope, mm. hopefully. You'd hope. Well, but I um, no hope for them I think that <laughs> and, and 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 I think those people who are interested in food might be a bit insulated from the yes. issues of food literacy that we have here in Australia so do you want to give us a bit of a rundown and and then tell us about the work that you're doing We
2: are definitely in a foodie bubble and I do have to remind myself um, that not everybody, loves food the way that i do Mm. and i don't necessarily want everybody to be a foodie uh, because that's an unrealistic kind of push for some people we're all on a spectrum of our understanding of food Um, i just want people to be further along in how much joy food brings them and in how empowered they feel to make the choices that they want to to make themselves feel better to make better more conscious decisions for the planet and for their community so that is what food literacy means to me the notion of food literacy, I mean, it's a, it's a made-up term, isn't it? Mm. Literacy people understand because we value the ability to write and read. We value numeracy, the ability to count. But food literacy, the ability to understand how food connects us, what food does for us, how we can grow our own, all of those sorts of things, I think has been lost, particularly in the school system, uh, because the curriculum is overloaded. Mm, and yeah. depending on how much a teacher or a school values food, it has a completely different kind of um, influence. On a school if yeah. you get a principal that's super engaged or a teacher that's extremely excited you've got a kitchen garden scheme you've got a little patch that the kids are growing or you know the kids are bringing in food i remember when i was um humanities you know head of hums at at a top tier school in melbourne i would get the kids to bring in feasts for like history day. So like we'd have like ancients day. Mm. We had a big ancient feast or like you, you know medieval day. We had a big medieval feast. But that was because I was driving that. Mm. And if I wasn't there, then that might not necessarily have happened for those kids. I still see those kids. They're in their 20s. That's the stuff they remember. Mm. So we have the power at that level to engage with kids. I mentioned food being multisensory. That's what you want to do as a teacher is like, um capture a kid's attention and and their imagination i think food can do that so it's not just that we have the opportunity to improve food literacy in schools by including food in the curriculum it's that we have the power to engage kids more in learning Mm. by bringing more food in Mm. and when i talk about the foodie bubble i remember when i launched my first book so alice's food a to z was essentially just a textbook for kids about food um and may I say, as an exclusive, I haven't even announced this yet. When is this When oh. is this going to air?
0: I reckon next week, next Monday. Yep. Yeah.
2: Okay. So, keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> Put a pin in that conversation. Keep your eyes peeled. So, I was visiting schools. I was out in Punchbowl in Sydney. And I was talking about making your own sauce. And I was definitely... I'd just come out of MasterChef. You know, I was like, oh, everybody loves food. Woohoo! he's Here's a jus. Um And I was talking about sauces making your own mayonnaise yada yada and i said okay who wants to tell me their favorite sauce and there was a kid that put his hand up little, you know really excited excitable little kid like and everyone's kind of giggling straight away they're like oh this guy you know you could tell he was a bit of (laughs) a bit of a bit of a joke sitting up straight yeah yeah yeah. there's this guy (laughs) Yeah. yeah and uh and he said big mac sauce (laughs) <laughs> and everybody laughed he's got a point though that's <laughs> said, you know, like, like, fair play, everybody the laughed the and i thought oh, okay here we go right it's not this kid's fault that yeah. that's the source that he wants i've got the opportunity now so i can either shame him and say oh no that's not what i meant you know oh no no i meant a, a fresh salsa or you know or let's turn this into a learning and let's hook this kid in where he is on that spectrum. Yeah, He'll he'll
1: love being a chef if if he loves Big Mac sauce. If he loves Big Mac sauce, he knows umami, right? He
2: loves rich, (laughs) creamy, all of those flavours. Like there's a reason that Big Mac sauce sells, right? So I said, all right, young man, what is your name? He said, Mike. I said, all right. Thank you, universe. So I said, let's make Big Mike's sauce. Perfect. Right? (laughs) And then we made Big Mike's sauce. So it has Mm. a mayonnaise base. You know, we might pop some pickles in there. We might put some onion in there or whatever it is. And we made our own little bit of tomato sauce in there. Right, Mike? You know, all of those sorts of things. And straight away, he sat up straighter. He felt like he could be included in that conversation. That's what food literacy is. It's not about saying go to the farmer's market or only eat organic or whatever it is. It's actually just saying, hey, you know, you can be part of this. Be more active, like be Mm. an active participant in what it is that you feed yourself and go with your taste buds. If you're craving something rich, creamy, umami, savoury, figure out what's in your fridge and what you can do to make that happen for yourself. Mm. Mm. You know, learn to cook. You can do that, Mike.
0: Mm. Do you... Is there, you, you've mentioned schools, curriculums mm. and how they impact, you know, a, someone like yourself's ability to communicate you, and just teachers' just, ability. Just
1: for someone who didn't go to school here and doesn't have any yeah. children. What is, what is in the curriculum <laughs> to do with food in Australian <laughs> schools? Because yeah. in the UK, we did like one term of cooking. I burnt some pasta um, and that was it. We made a pie. Yeah.
0: That was it. Didn't like it. I did, I did bugger all. Boy. You didn't do much at Bug my school. All. Yeah. yeah,
2: and it very much is. So, the Australian curriculum, I don't know how it... In the UK, it's actually not so different. So, teachers are given a framework. It, yeah. Yes, teachers are given a framework of, um, you know, tick boxes. So, you need to teach, um, you know, um, statistics. You need to teach... Blah, 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 blah. Food is more like an auxiliary kind of element. There might be a unit on nutrition or there might be something, you know, um, the food pyramid, which... Like, if that's in your curriculum, <laughs> rethink, yeah. you know, your choices. Um, so, it's up to the teachers to design yeah. it themselves. And unfortunately, what happens there is that teachers bring their own baggage with food. Like, as grown-ups, you know, we've got years of scar tissue of what food means <laughs> to us. And so, to get a teacher who might not be informed enough in terms of the language that they're using or the approach for um, a kid's understanding of food. Because one thing um, that we don't understand as grown-ups is that, or might not understand is that kids don't see as much nuance as we do Mm. they they see things in black and white Mm. so if i had said to mike mike that sauce is junk food mike wouldn't say oh yeah that's junk food i shouldn't eat it mike would say i eat that i am junk Mm. Yeah. So when teachers, police lunchboxes, when teachers talk about sometimes food's good and bad, you know, black and white thinking for kids, they absorb that. And they can't control what they eat. Mm. They go home and mum and dad put food on the table. And Mm. so I think that... um, What we have the opportunity to do, do, though, with that open curriculum is find the curiosity points, the entry points about food, like the history of food, the language of food. Like, where does the word mayonnaise come from? And how come the French own so many food words Mm. around the world? Mm. Isn't that interesting? So I think that's a really exciting thing for me to be encouraging teachers to think differently about food. And Mm. what's even more exciting, so phenomenon which is all free it's something that we created um phenomenon with an m.com.au if you're curious (laughs) thank you uh it's something that we created with funds from the federal government and industry so hort innovation who represent growers they you know growers pay a levy for every piece of fruit and veg that they sell they've put some of those levy funds uh, close to two million bucks into this project to make Mm. it free Mm. to make it accessible to every teacher you know and i think that's ...showing that there are some real forward thinkers. Mm. Big, big, you know... ...there's big money in food... ...and they're thinking about the future of it.
1: The fact is it's not as important in schools... Or if it's, it's, or it's an afterthought, if it's left up to the teachers yes. to do it, it is insane. If one is asking a massive amount from a teacher who are already snowed under and busy, mm. and it's just, it's so short-sighted. Yes. It's like, we we literally need food I
0: to, think, to live. To live. To live. <laughs> <What>? Like, <laughs> fuck. Yeah. Not only are they snowed under and short-sighted too, but like... You know, my sisters a, a teacher, and I've got friends that are teachers and stuff like that. It's so much of this stuff that teachers are passionate about that they have to pursue in their own time. Yes, this, teachers have so much extracurricular stuff oh, that they they need to pursue. So, yeah. um, teachers
2: need holidays because we are fucking yeah. exhausted. Yeah. Sorry, no, I'm not going to apologize. This <laughs> no, is don't foodie apologize. people, yeah. <laughs> <but> exo- <laughs> Freaking exhausted, and so people think, oh, being a teacher, you know, that's a like a eight to three job, right? No way. The reason that I ended up on MasterChef is because I had pitched this food and culture elective to my heads of school and they said, you don't have the expertise. I went out every weekend for a year and did a chef at home course at William Anglis, you know, Mm. because I wanted to upskill, because that was my passion. But if I'm not a teacher that's interested in food and then I'm told, oh, you've got to teach a a semester of food stuff, I'd Mm. be like, what? What do you mean? Mm. So, you know, I think – and I – for me, my passion is food, but someone else might come in and say cyberbullying. Cyberbullying is very, yeah. very important. It's a very, you know, so, so slip that into your curriculum. Mm. So it is, it's a very um, cluttered, Space to be in, so I think that it's about finding the gaps rather than trying to shove more in, yeah, okay, yeah, or just wrap it all down and start again. <laughs> <laughs> that, that,
1: that, that's
0: just we my could
2: 100 kids do that. that's just my thoughts with the schooling system. <laughs> basically For the, the next room. year, <laughs> yeah. all we're doing is, is just cooking, burn it
0: down. Honestly, <laughs> how man. have you seen? And it's a cool little link, but um, my niece is eight years old and she. Loves MasterChef more than anything in the world, and she like she does her own little MasterChef challenges at home with her mum and stuff like that. And like she cooked dinner for her parents the other night. She's That's eight. Wild. She cooked pasta with carrots. It was quite nice, apparently. Um, but like. How do you see the popularity of shows like MasterChef? Because, like, YouTube and, you know, Mm. food, like, food social media, food media, food um, content is so accessible and consumable and to a really, really young demographic. Like, have you, since you were on MasterChef or since you were a teacher, have you seen, you know, media being a place to really push forward food literacy?
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, when I went on the show, I thought I'd be coming back into the classroom when I was done, and I went back to visit my kids, and they were like, "Oh my god, it's Alice from MasterChef!" and they were so excited. And I was like, "I taught you for three years. <laughs> yeah. I'm literally the same person." And suddenly, I've got all this, you know, cachet for you. We
1: see you last week. I was <laughs> literally the same.
2: And so, I definitely think that MasterChef is a juggernaut, yeah. and particularly mm. for kids. I think the way it's produced is for kids. Yeah. You know, it's very much the. Um, it's quite panto. Yeah. And families watch it. It together and I, I definitely think it's changed even the ven- the vernacular that we use around food, plating up, heroing, mm. all of these... Hibachi. Hibachi. <laughs> <laughs> all of these terms that Mama we want just... want a hibachi for Christmas. <laughs> just <laughs> get a, a pot plant, put a grate on it, yeah, <laughs> get yeah. some charcoal in there. So, um That definitely I think that there has been a lot of good that's come from cooking TV Mm. as long as we keep it positive And I think that that's what MasterChef does really well is that there's a hopefulness and a a positivity to it Um, A camaraderie that you might not see on other competitive cooking shows Um, And I do think that TikTok is for the Gen Z, that's where they are and that is food hacks Mm. Um, You know the tortilla hack, the the baked feta feta pasta, you know feta sold out in the United States that's crazy, like crazy. viral feta pasta. It's one
1: of those I'm like, P- people don't know that. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what?
2: How do we do <laughs> like, that with butternut bubble? squash? You know, like we yeah. exactly. yeah. and we can. I bet you just the same cherry tomatoes would have sold out at the well, same yeah. time.
1: I mean, it's it's almost the yeah. way that a lot of chefs and restaurants think about what dish can go viral. Yes, if you think about it the same way yes. with social media and TikTok, like what can what can we do? What, what recipe mm. could could really kick off and, and make yeah. people go out and, and buy uh, buy up all the pumpkins? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and obviously it does like. We're talking about it in very positive terms. So there are negatives to Mm. social media, even social media in the food space. But um, I'm all about reviewing by omission. (laughs) So if I don't talk about it, I don't give it oxygen and I put my energy and attention into the things that are good. Mm,
0: Mm. Fantastic. Um, Last thing we'll talk about before we wrap up, but um, having... You know, you're a teacher, uh, but having been on MasterChef and now, and and, you know that potentially providing you a springboard into the food world, which is what you've you've sort of taken that opportunity, done a lot of hard work to get to where you are. MasterChef was ten years ago.
2: Yeah, close to.
0: Um, Did you always like while you were on MasterChef, or previous to that, or like when along the line did you think I want to make a career in the food world? Mm -hmm. And and I mean, it's wearing so many hats and not really having a defined job where you get paid a salary and all that sort of thing <laughs> it's like you, you don't just think of this in your head as something you wanted to do like you kind of just think this like cloud of ethereal like I want to be in the food world and yeah. communicate my ideas and yeah. do these sorts of things like I, I face the same issues because I, I make cookbooks and take photos of food and do contract work and consulting and a podcast and radio and I'm still trying to figure out how I turn that into a like real job if you know what I mean yeah. but like how's that journey been for you and did you, did you have to really think about along the way how you would go through that process and turn it into a career or... Is it something that happened organically?
2: Oh, man. Um, (laughs) Good, very good question. When I went on the show, um, I mentioned I was planning on going back into the classroom and just teaching my food and culture elective. So, during the process of the show, as I got further and further along, actually, you know, a week in, so I had been told that I could come back to my job and a week in it was like if you don't come to work on Monday morning, you don't have a job. Mm -hmm. So, that was the first leap that wow. I took. That was the first big leap of faith. Didn't come in. Did not come in. <laughs> in comes Matt Moran with a big salmon on his back and all of his chefs. He always walks around with a yeah, just a salmon. Oh. Hey, here's me and my Sweetie, salmon. Yeah. Um, slammed it down and said, you know, today if you cook, then you either get an apron or you go home. And if you don't cook, if you step back, then you've got just the day off, you know, take your time. I was just like, I'm free falling right now. Yeah. So I'm going in. And yeah. that was the day I got my apron. Amazing. The rest of the last decade has been a matter of organically listening. When I'm really tapped in, I get moments of you are where you need to be right now Mm. and not always, you know, there have been times where I've just felt like, oh, this is not good for me and that intuition has been almost always right. Yeah. Um, And I think the thing that I did that's always kept me and my rudder quite stable, you know, Mm. is that I put a big piece of paper up and I wrote teacher but bigger. Yeah. on the wall and every decision that i've made since is asking that question is this doing that and that is the thing that i think has kept my authenticity has kept me feeling good about what i do and i don't always get paid yeah. <laughs> there's a whole lot of stuff a lot of stuff that i do for free but no learning is um pointless you know so every free thing that i've done i tend to find that you know for example Saying yes to something like this, you know, now I've connected with you and with Simon and I can say, um, you know, somewhere down the line, something will be there and I'll think, okay, Steph is right for this. Let me get in touch with him. So I'm a, I'm a people person, you know, I'm a very gregarious person. I'm energized by other people's energy and enthusiasm and that. Is something that is, I think, better than feeling like I'm getting a wage. You know, I'm, you know. By mm. now, I'd probably be principal of a school. Yeah. But um, there's there's only so much that I can you know. Of course. There's only so many students you can teach in a classroom. Yeah. Whereas I get to go on national television of a morning and inspire hundreds of thousands of people to whole roast a cauliflower. Mm. That's pretty freaking cool very exciting
0: (laughs) all right that's just the perfect way to end it so we're going to end it there alice thank you so much for joining us it's been fantastic thank you you, steph thank Thank you you, you.
2: simon over and out fireball
0: (laughs) Hello, dear listeners, Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at the Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or the food fight Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's simon underscore evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again with another episode.